passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Rewind the dynamite from the most recent sight. A-W, lighting up the fuse. Sit back and enjoy the bubbly. As we hear from John and Waiting. Where we're going, we don't need roads. And if the bug stops here, this thing might blow. Everything you hear, opinions of the show. And if you don't like it, go to the forums and let them know. Welcome to Rewind a Dynamite. I'm John Pollock with Waiting. Here on a Wednesday evening at the post office. Way, how are you? I'm doing well. Yourself? Uh, I'm doing. Ve- I'm doing very well. We were expecting a big snowstorm today, and while snow did arrive, it was hardly uh, as feared. Yeah, yeah. Uh, good, good. I'm happy for that. It's still set to continue through the night, so I am ready to uh, do a bit of shoveling tomorrow. But um, yeah, it sounds like not as bad as people were predicting. Yeah, well, now that we've jinxed it, uh, I can only imagine what we're going to wake up to tomorrow. I guess we'll find out. We shall find out. Well, no matter where you live, it's always good to wear things. No matter if it's cold or warm, you should always have something that looks stylish. And Yeah, you shouldn't be naked. You can if you choose to, but you'd look so much more cool if you're wearing something from the post-wrestling store. And I know what many people are thinking. Wow, I just wish I could get my hands on some of that that sweet, sweet clothing that you can get at store.postwrestling.com. Well, wait a minute. I'm a cafe member, and I know that at the beginning of every Rewind to Dynamite, I'm in a draw to win such an item so that I don't have to go out naked. I could wear a hat. I could wear a t-shirt. Many options. But yeah. I've got to win this draw. You know, that might be this might be the best setup you've ever done for one of these. Epic. It's exciting. I mean, Certainly. who doesn't like to win stuff? Uh I I love winning stuff. So, let's give something away right now. Okay. Okay, everybody, um who is going to get clothed? Waiting is reaching deep. He has selected the winner, and clothing is going to be presented too. Congratulations to Robert Ringholm. Robert Ringholm from uh, this one's... from Stockholm. Robert Ringholm from Stockholm. Yeah. Well, this this rings true for Robert because I know that he has wanted to to win for months and months. So congratulations, Robert. Uh, Wei Tang is going to come to Sweden and hand deliver this to you. I would love to. Are you kidding me? Yeah. 
through his Swedish um, help. The spirit of Wei Ting will come to Sweden. Yeah, IKEA, I'm sure, has some sort of exchange program. Congratulations. Where do you want to move on to? We have uh, lots of stuff to talk about. Uh, we have uh, an announcement to make that uh, Thursday night, for those of you listening, we have a special Thursday night edition of the Cafe Hangout. Wei and I are going to be hanging out on Thursday night with all of you. Special start time of 9 p.m. Eastern time. All of you can tune in live. Uh, on the Post Wrestling Cafe, if you are members. And we're going to be joined by Mike Murray, and we're going to go through the Super Showdown event that's happening on Thursday morning. This kickoff show is kicking off at 11 a.m. Really? Okay. That's kind of good, actually. Uh, in what way? I don't have to wait that long. That's true. You can wake up and... Yeah. I mean, no- nothing to me uh, says um, gigantic event than... A Thursday after uh, Thursday afternoon. That'd be preposterous. Thursday at eleven AM. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um well I mean it's we know the deal, right? It's it's not really supposed to be a huge event for you or I. It's it's supposed to be a big event for the people that are paying for the show. Can we just rename these Monswarmania? That should be what these shows are. Sure. Yeah. This like it should be a ten year journey of Monsoor. Going from Cesaro to Dolph Ziggler, and he eventually wins like a championship at one of these, and it's just like that is the storyline from show to show of all of these. Mansoor Mania. I guess I'm surprised that they haven't done more with him on this side of the world, but beyond like you know the occasional NXT appearance and then like a, co- a kickoff commentary gig. You know, has he even been on NXT since the last show with Cesaro? I don't even know if he's been on NXT since. Yeah, I don't know. But if he was, it, it it wasn't anything notable. But certainly he's played a major role in these shows for a couple of years now. You'd figure they would give him some presence on the show, at least like, you know, have him drafted to one of these programs. But um he it's 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 really odd. He's like that that character who only appears like in an alternate universe, um, like twice yeah, a year. In one world, he is Defeating Cesaro, and he's the biggest babyface on that entire show. And then in the real world, his most memorable moment, I would say, thus far has been his Moro Ronaldo impression. Uh, yes, sure, that's one of them. Maybe it's maybe like maybe like these Saudi Arabia shows are meant to be like dream sequences. You know, <laughs> we're we're getting a glimpse into somebody's dream sequence. Can you imagine if they just did like a bunch of title changes and then we come back and none of them are acknowledged on TV? Yeah. It's like they're they're non-canon and they just are there for what-if scenarios. Yeah. Uh, Shawn Michaels didn't really come back from retirement. Uh, yeah. <laughs> none of this stuff exists. Yeah. Uh, Shawn Michaels uh, was caught on that moonsault. <laughs> sure. Yes. Or wasn't, I guess. Uh, whichever what way moonsault? Would... What are you talking about? Exactly. Well... We're going to chat about that um, on Thursday night and take your phone calls. So looking forward to uh, hanging out with Mike and, of course, Yue. So that's coming up on Thursday night. Then Saturday morning, it's a Saturday morning edition of Rewind, a Smackdown. And everything that happens on that show happens in in all uh, universes attached to post-wrestling. So you can tune into that show on the cafe. And then Saturday night, we're back with our AEW Revolution post-show. Way and I will be going live right after the pay-per-view uh, for Double Double, Ice Cap, and Espresso members of the Post Wrestling Cafe. And then Thunderstruck drops on 
Sunday. So lots of shows to look forward to this weekend. Very busy week. Yeah, a lot of uh, a lot to talk about. So let's get started. Yes, uh, lots of news to get to. I encourage everyone to check out uh, all of Andrew Thompson's uh, updates and news items, and there's no shortage of them today. Let's start off with New Japan, who um, this was uh, this is an enormous deal. They have had to cancel their shows from March 1st through the 15th uh, because of the coronavirus outbreak and being advised by the Japanese Ministry of Health, um, just uh, being warned about this, and it's obviously... Uh, significant enough that they are uh, axing a bunch of shows. This will include the anniversary show that was to be headlined by Tetsuya Naito and Hiromu Takahashi and the first eight shows of the New Japan Cup, which just throw a total wrench into those plans. Um, this this is a major deal for New Japan to have to cut out all of these shows and is um, – I, I can't imagine the uh, – uh, planning of having to come up with uh, how you're going to build up the Sumo Hall show at the end of the month. Not not to say like wrestling booking is the biggest priority here. Obviously, this is a big health concern, but uh, from the wrestling end of things, this is definitely uh, a logistical nightmare. Oh, certainly. Yeah. I mean, just for the entire society, it's I'm sure uh, logistical nightmares are, are, are happening all, all over the place. Um, but, you know, it happened with stardom. Uh, it's happening with DDT. Uh, Tokyo Joshi Pro, and it seems like, you know, New Japan was just going to go ahead and do these shows, but um, I guess when the government steps in or uh, recommends something, people really start to listen, and I'm sure, like, you know, anybody who who does attend, like, I'm sure, like, New Japan probably wouldn't want to put these shows on um, while people are feeling, like, in this state, and probably not that comfortable, you know, being around uh, big public spaces anyway. So, and I'm guessing they didn't want to do like DDT and Tokyo Joshi Pro as well as Stardom. They've done or, or are planning to do some empty arena shows. And I'm just guessing that they didn't feel they wanted to go that route with any of these shows. I, I guess it mm-hmm. would just be, you know, it's um, it's one thing to be doing it, I, I think, as like a novelty for some of these companies. I would say for New Japan doing all of these shows without fans, I, I guess they just figured like this is not in our best interest to just shelved the shows perhaps yeah and we're also talking at this point i think like pretty heavily anticipated matchups that they'd be missing out on gates missing gates on so um i feel like there there certainly would be a way to like reshuffle things you know just to delay uh, a match like Oromo versus naito and even delaying the entire new japan cup to to later later shows um it, well i was i was looking yeah. at the dates they have left and they've got from they've got shows still announced for the 16th, 17th, 18th, 20th, and 21st. So you've got five shows before Sakura Genesis. And you could still do, like, the first two shows, you do the round of 32. Then you do the round of 16 on its own show. And then you do the quarterfinals on the 20th. And that would leave you with the 21st to do the semifinals and finals. So two guys would have to work two matches on the final show to set up the challenger that's doable um the problem is that who knows if they're going to be able to uh come back on the 16th i mean this Mm -hmm. is uh this is not something where it's just going to be one day uh everyone wakes up and this is not a threat any longer these shows could also be threatened as well so i don't know how much you can necessarily bank on them being able to run 
the 16th. They're in uh, Toyama that night. Then they're in Saitama on the 17th. And then uh, Shizuoka on the 18th. I mean, those are all probably, at best, up in the air right now. Yeah, yeah. Um, You know, I I don't even know how you would really plan a, a contingency plan for something like that. I mean, I feel like you could probably only book as much as as you as you're able to, knowing what you what you know right now. So I'm sure if that problem arises, they'll probably deal with it then. But until then, v- video game really simulation. Um, okay, so people will just like play each other as their video game characters in like Fire Pro or something online. That could be a compromise. I would kind of watch that. I'd love to see Minoru Suzuki. Like play a video game. <laughs> they do their own commentary for their match. Yeah, could be uh that could be something. Minoru Suzuki and Yuji Nagata in the opening round on on Fire Pro. Sign me up. Well, it's uh you know certainly, um, you know th- this can't th- this didn't come out of left field that this was going to mm-hmm. affect New Japan and it's going to be something to watch too that now you've seen uh. Cases emerging in the United States. They had the um, the uh, CDC report come out stating it's it's not a matter of if, but when that there is that the coronavirus is going to come to the U.S. So it's like they're they're making preparations now uh, in the U.S. and and many other countries as well. So well for I mean, for Japan, the big one is the Olympics coming up right, in the summer. Of course, um, man, I'm sure like anybody involved in that is is really kind of a little anxious thinking about what, whether or not any of this stuff will, will still be around and affecting that. Yeah. I mean, travel to, to that part of the world where you've got to be, I mean, that's like logistically, it just seems uh, to be, I, I, I don't know how you go about that. Certainly above my uh, level of comprehension of like, just the, the ripple effect of, of something like this. And I mean, we saw this firsthand with like the SARS outbreak in, in 2003 and what, our city was like kind of hit with with that oh for sure yeah this is even bigger all right well we will keep it monitored on on the new japan front but uh pretty much no shows for the first half of march so new japan cup anniversary show all put on hold for the time being other news to get to uh, a couple of matches have been added to super showdown we mentioned uh monsoor is going to be taking on Dolph Ziggler, and they've also announced uh, Angel Garza versus Umberto Carrillo, a rematch from Monday, and the Viking Raiders against Carl, Carl Anderson and Luke Gallows uh, for the show. That'll be on the kickoff portion. So more so rounding out the card, and Monsoor had already stated he knew he was going to be on the show, just did not know who his opponent was going to be. And, I mean, just in terms of a reaction, I'm expecting Monsoor and Ziggler to be among the most heated things on the show because – I mean, Mansoor came out of that. Uh, he was just treated like uh, a superstar on that last show in October. I'm actually kind of surprised they don't have something bigger for Mansoor than Dolph Ziggler. You know, considering like they they had him win that battle royal one time, um, you'd figure he'd be on the actual card rather than a kickoff in a more high profile matchup. But uh, I don't know if he's on the kickoff. It might be the main show. Oh, okay, okay yeah. then. Yeah, yeah. The the tag match is the only one I'm aware of for sure is on the kickoff. Um, but yeah, that, those are the three matches added uh, for that. Uh, and the WWE has also confirmed uh, what we had stated on Monday. The Undertaker is there. So expect to see him on the show. They actually like show, showed a video 
like the like I think it was like a tourist group that like was there shooting these like slow mo beautiful slow mo images of everybody arriving off the plane and it's like I don't know how much the WWE enjoyed all this because it was like Bray Wyatt out of character um like all these people like disheveled a little bit coming off of these long flights our truth wearing face masks um the undertaker being shown right there of course so they've just been a, in an airplane for god knows how many hours and then they get out and there's like just cameras. everyone filming them and stuff but i mean yeah. that's i guess kind of part of the gig samoa joe has been suspended for 30 days over his first wellness policy violation that is the extent of the message that the wwe sent out uh no further details beyond that this will put him out until uh the week before wrestlemania so um but a week and a half before wrestlemania and i guess that's the natural question is does this kind of remove him from wrestlemania plans or do they slot him in and he gets onto that card i guess is the question it comes like you know on the on the heels of uh, several news items concerning Samoa Joe that aren't unfortunately uh, very positive. So uh, you know the timing is really interesting in that he he is eligible to come back before WrestleMania. I personally don't. I I, I think I would personally rule rule out like the possibility of him being in like a high profile program. You know, at most I see him being involved in sort of like mid card multi man IC title match or something like that. Uh, maybe even. Andre Battle Royal, unfortunately. Um, I could see him regardless getting into the Andre Battle Royal. I would say, I, I would imagine just based on television that we're either building up for Rollins versus Owens or Rollins and Murphy against Owens and Joe. And I guess that's the question is, does he get that level of a match? Because I can certainly see him, he if he's taken out of that match, he's just tossed into the Battle Royal or something. Do we even know that he... Like, do we know what his injury is and whether or not he'd be okay by the time that his suspension is up? Yeah, that's another question because he did he did injure himself on that commercial shoot um, recently. So he was dealing with that on top of things. So, yeah, it's a great point. Like, it's even when these 30 days are up, uh, we don't know what the extent of that injury was as well. Um, and he had just been coming back from a concussion prior to that. So uh, he has had... Uh, just a, a horrible last month uh, in terms of all of this. Um, I'm always curious with these these wellness violations of oh, yeah. that sure. just not so much even the policy portion, but the fact that the talent – like I've seen enough cases now in the UFC with USADA that there was a time when you would hear – you know. Guys would come up with excuses or they'd have their story for it. And sometimes you, you you didn't know how much credence to give it to. But now, like, there are numerous cases that that men and women have brought up that, I mean, they have solid defenses. And they have had stuff that's been unexplained that is ended up in their system. And there's also now a level of sophistication that is picking up things in systems that is so microscopic when we're talking about uh, picograms. Uh, in in some cases that and I don't know what the specifics are with, with Joe. I'm talking about just all of these that you have to be asking these questions as well. Like, what are these guys failing for? What are the substances? Uh, what kind of testing is being done on them? Um, because we, we've seen irregularities in the testing in MMA and you have to naturally assume like what what's kind of the technology and level of sophistication in these tests that 
WWE wrestlers are subjected to, but they they do not get uh, a chance to go and defend themselves or present a case or anything like that. It's kind of they just take the, the suspension. They never talk about it. And that's it. I mean, I recall like people like like um, Paige at one time kind of giving a, a, an explanation online. I don't know if it's really encouraged, you know, to for for, pe- for performers to like go go out on Twitter, for instance, and defend themselves. Maybe. I don't know. I'm not sure how, how that works, but I'm sure it's not. I just think when they're when you just see someone is suspended for a wellness violation, it just it sends fans into speculative territory and they're just making assumptions. And mm-hmm. we know that you can be suspended just for not providing a test and no one knows like no one knows what the violation is over and i would just think for some of these people that you wouldn't want fans assuming the worst and that's that's what's going to happen when you just have such vague one word uh, explanations statements that come out from one side which is the company and you know the performers i think they they have their side too of like what exactly happened here yeah yeah I I I almost feel like you know the mystery is almost um, like it's certainly intentional. Um, I I feel like the the less they they have to reveal, the the better they probably consider it. Lance Archer has signed with AEW a multi year deal, and uh, they indicated on tonight's show that there will be more on this next week. They didn't flat out say he would be on the show next week, but it was kind of hinted at. Um, yeah, Lance Archer. We knew they had been in talks. I think this is a – I would say this is a, this is a very good pickup for AEW, but I also think it's like a, a big loss for New Japan that they did not lock this guy down and be able to retain him. I think so too. I think so too. I think you know we were all surprised when we discovered that he wasn't already on a full-time deal coming off of that great performance in the G1 and then you know even a subsequent title, re- title reign as the U.S. champion. But um, – uh, obviously, they've had plenty of chances to keep the guy, and um, you know they didn't take it. All AEW did, and um, I, I'm very happy for Lance Archer. Um, you know, like this guy won. This guy, he like earned this contract in mm-hmm. every sense of the word because his stock a year ago, uh, pre G1 to now, just has. Uh, you know, the opposite of the WWE stock in the last year. I mean, he had, he went into that G1 and I think he realized this is my last chance to just go all out and show people what I can do at this age. I'm, you know, probably he's without a tag partner. He's probably realizing that, you know, this is my last chance perhaps with new Japan. Like there's so much talent out there. Mm-hmm. That guy just busted his ass and, He's gotten a great contract at the, at the end of it, just not with New Japan. I, you know, as a fan, I'm kind of disappointed that we're not going to see him interact with like the Japanese crowds anymore. I thought he was so great, just like playing heel against them. But you know, this this kind of offers like a new opportunity to see a different side of him. I think one that re- relies a bit more on his promo ability. Um, we'll see how they fit him into like AEW, but I I I think it's a real positive. Uh, you know, even at one time, I think. Um, there, there were like a, there were a number of like dark order teases. One of them had, I believe this was on their Twitter or something. Like, run, one of them actually like veiled reference, like had had a veiled reference to him in in the form of like um, everybody dies. I believe was like the end of like one of those one of their cryptic tweets. So yes. at the very least, I think they were at least um, hinting that he could be one of their 
uh, one of the candidates for the exalted one or something. But the reveal today online and also on the TV show seems to um, take that away. Uh, some ratings notes. Monday's episode of Raw, they were down 9% this week. They did just over 2.2 million viewers. So um, they were down 9% in viewers, down 10% in the uh, 18 to 49 demo. But when you go into the uh, the trends throughout the show, I think there's a lot of positive you can take from this number. Of the eight key demos that they list, seven out of eight of those categories grew in the second hour and with uh, adults 18 to 34 and females 12 to 34, there was growth every hour, including in the third among those demographics. And I, I take that as like a really positive sign, um, just telling me that I put together an episode that people were engaged in and there was growth in a lot of these uh, areas throughout the show instead of like the usual pattern of, you know, down a bit in the second hour, and then the third hour, the show plummets. And that that wasn't the case. in For women 12 to 34, in the third hour, it was up 39% from hour one. So I think there, there's a lot of positive you can take from this beyond just looking at viewers being down and the main demo being down. I'm happy to hear that because I would say, you know, from uh, our perspective and from the audience's perspective, it seemed to be a show that was very well received by everybody creatively. And to see numbers back that up is certainly, I would, I would say maybe, I don't know, gives me hope that they will do more of what we, of the type of show that we saw on Monday. So I'm happy to hear it. Yeah, I, I would love to see the breakdown of the third hour uh, and what, what was the big segment in that third hour because it could be one of two things in my mind. It was the, the, the contract signing with the women, with you know the the tease of Shayna and Becky. Um, and the main event with Randy Orton and Kevin Owens that was set up in the first segment. I would say those you have to look at those two as probably the the key reasons people were really invested in that in that third hour. Mm-hmm. So that was I, I think good news from this past week's number. And the final thing uh, is XFL numbers for the third week. Uh, ABC game was down eleven percent in uh, in viewers, eighteen percent in the demo. Fox game was down twelve percent and six and. The FS1 game was down uh, 26% in viewers, 28% in the demo. So we're still looking at big, or, or at least double-digit drops in, in a lot of these uh, categories, uh, but but certainly not at the level of week one. So I think we're still we're still in the early stages here, and I think next week you'll get a pretty good picture of what the, these numbers are settling in at. But, I mean, you're talking about, I, I think if you were grading this, I think you would give this a like a B to a B minus, I think, in terms of like expectation versus what are the numbers you're delivering. I think it's it's not, I wouldn't be over the moon with these numbers, but I, I wouldn't be looking at this as like bombing. It's it's not. Like all these games, they did top a million viewers. The Fox game topped two million. So I think that it's um, a, a moderate success at this point, given uh, what what it could have been of just one week and then it just goes to hell. The goal, I mean, is is to simply be alive, isn't it? For now, for the for the next couple seasons, right? I think it's. I think they'll have the financing to at least get you know two seasons out of this. How about the I, network backing? Well, I think it's. I think I think the main key is that there's. Uh, 
you certainly want to have yeah these these networks i think if these numbers tanked uh you would be forced to you know be on like fs1 for most of your games so it's it's maintaining a certain level of audience that uh you have this this network support that you're not dragging down um their audiences but um yeah essentially it's you know keeping these broadcasters happy and at a level that for afternoon numbers that they're happy with and by the end of this period um someone's willing to offer them a lot of money for these games mm-hmm. so do you like any idea what industry expectations might be for something like this and and how whether or not they're uh i don't know meeting exceeding i i was listening to an, an interview with uh John Orrand, who's with a sports business journal, and he was talking about like some of the networks, like they're not they're not over the moon with these numbers, but they're it, like they're satisfied. And, and those would to me be he didn't get into specifics like network to network, but I would imagine that would be the case with like ABC, Fox, and to a degree ESPN. FS1, on the other hand, like it's a much lower rated network. So even this past week's game doing uh, a million four, I, I think like. FS1, I would say, has to be ecstatic at, at a number like that. Like, they are not pulling in a million viewers too often. I mean, there wasn't, you know, it was, you, you need a really, really big, like, UFC prelims or fight night to be hitting a million viewers for them. Like, they, I, I think, would be very happy with that number. So you, you have to look at the scale as well. Um, mm-hmm. ABC, Fox, and ESPN, they're going to have a, a higher um, level that they're trying to achieve. But I, I still feel like for... These afternoon, early evening games, these these are not embarrassing numbers, even by week three. Cool. All right. All your news you can find up at uh, postwrestling.com, and we'll have coverage uh, throughout Super Showdown on Thursday on the site. Let us get into uh, – actually, for NXT tonight, uh, Ric Flair was there at the show. He came out. He did, a, he did a promo before they went live on the air. He was told he had a strict time to be done by, and I guess he hit it. Um, but um, – you know, this week was his birthday, and today um, would have been Reed's thirty-second uh, birthday. So I can only imagine what what just um, a terrible day this is for him uh, to at least uh, be there today for Charlotte's match and and all that. I just I, I can't even imagine what this day is like for him. Oh yeah, like crazy emotions. Yeah, he was just at the Lakers game the other day. Yeah, on his birthday he was there. Yeah. So yeah, he turned uh, seventy-one uh, this week. So. Anyway, uh, Brayden and Davey will have a full rundown of NXT on Up Next. But Dynamite took place from Kansas City tonight, and we immediately started things off with just a quick preview of the show and into the 30-minute Iron Man match. I thought very good placement, way putting this on first as opposed to uh, later in the show. I agree uh, completely. I mean, you're talking about a time when I think the crowd has its mo- highest level of energy, and to start the show off with a 30-minute match... Actually, kind of feels like it's the norm anyway with AEW Dynamite. I mean, the, typically they, they go probably at least like, what, 18 minutes commercial free? This, I, I think they went, uh, it was around 21 before they went to their first commercial break here. So it's, uh, that's not, I, I thought that's this was not that different from the, uh, any no. other week. Yeah. Um, so they came out, um, this feels like a broken record, but another electric crowd in yeah. Kansas City tonight. They were fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had a what bar sign, way? Amazing. Amazing. Those guys, they're just uh, hey, superstars. I forgot to thank Brian. Brian and his uh, lady friend for uh, the post-wrestling sign on Raw. So thank you very much for that. I did catch it. 
Oh, thank you, everyone. That is our – you fans are our advertising budget, so we thank you. Uh, We had the the countdown clock on the screens. The the audience is just rabid from the get-go. And we have the Young Bucks out with Kenny Omega – but no Hangman Page, which the uh, the announcers uh, shone a light on. It's a it's such a tiny, I mean, not that tiny of a detail, but like something that I think could have completely been a wasted opportunity. You know, just it, like typically you would you would have just had Omega come out, but to to do this thing with the Bucks like just it makes you think about the actual match that's taking place on Sunday. Um, I thought it was really smart. So this match. In the opening minutes, we're getting teases of the one-winged angel and brutalizer that both get stopped. Um, Pac does a moonsault off the apron that gets caught into a swinging DDT. And then our first, like, Jesus Christ moment was Pac, where you thought he was going for a traditional superplex. Dude does a brain buster off the top. This thing looked insane. I I can't really, like, comprehend the the like what you need to do exactly different to make sure that a move is more of a brain buster than a superplex. Um, but to do it safely from that height, it was really incredible. And I mean, seemed like an expert level move that obviously these two experts were uh, demonstrated perfectly. I mean, like 10 minutes into this, they were going at just an unbelievable pace and they pretty much kept it up for the whole match. Um, it just like it moved by so fast, like 10 minutes in. I, they even had the clock up there, yeah. and when we were down to like f- four minutes, I was like, "How have we gone through it?" It breezed by. So, this was the fastest thirty minutes. I, I totally agree. Like typically, you know, I was ready for it too for watching this one. But like any Iron Man match, typically it's just like you know the first moments are going to be slow, and then they're going to ramp up. But they were fast the whole time, and I was no. like, I thought it was compelling the entire time. Kenny hit a Tiger Driver 98, only gets a two count. Then he busts out Kreutz Wrath, and this place went nuts when Pat kicked out of this. Yeah, I don't know how many people, like, obviously the audience recognizes, at least a good portion of the audience recognizes that move. The announcers didn't so much, um, but nonetheless. Which I was very surprised Excalibur didn't identify it. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's a move he he so rarely pulls out, but you're right. Like, Excalibur. Like, even in New Japan, like, that was a rarity that he would use use that move. I mean, he had pretty much retired that move the for his like his peak years that people were uh discovering Kenny Omega or seeing his biggest matches. Crowd got it though. Yep. Um, they they went nuts. I mean, it's it just aesthetically it's a beautiful move. Um so the one-winged angel gets set up and Kenny climbs the turnbuckle with him. I didn't know what th- this was like um I don't mean to com- compare this to Carmella, but when Carmella went for that dive and Naomi was already on the edge of the apron, it was like, what was Carmella going to do here? My question was, what was Kenny going to do if Pac did not turn this into a sunset bomb? Was he going to <laughs> go off the top to the floor? Wasn't he going to do like a super one-winged angel? Yeah, but he was facing like outward toward the crowd. Like, where was he going to go with this guy? To the floor? You could jump backwards to do the move. I guess, I guess so. I guess you could have done that. That's uh, that's one way. Um, Omega then so takes the sunset bomb. He comes back with a snapdragon. There's a V trigger, huge near fall again. We're about midway through when Pack grabs a chair and nails him for the first DQ in Dynamite history. And Kenny has the first fall 
um, with the idea here that Pack was going to weaken him, but in the process had to sacrifice a fall. It's a stat that honestly surprised me to hear that this was the first DQ in Dynamite history in what, like six months now of this or, or five, six months. Um, mm-hmm. And they picked like a time that to do it where it didn't really leave a sour taste in your mouth at all. Like they did it. They picked the spot to do it. The first DQ finish at a time when it was strategic and told a story. So immediately after, and I was really glad that they did this was he's weakened from the chair shot and he hits this uh, fantastic black arrow and pins him at 1639 of the match before we go to our picture in picture. So, but they made they made the DQ mean something because this was the trade-off was Pac gets a fall out of this. Yeah, yeah. I feel like we saw this at a recent like Iron Man match, didn't we? This, this it, It's been used yeah. in the past, the idea of a guy just killing someone, DQ'd, but then goes up a few falls or something. He gets the advantage from this point on uh, because he's he'll be dealing with a weakened opponent for the rest of the match. We come back. Omega had retreated to the floor to avoid another black arrow. And the next big spot is uh, Kenny getting hit with a falcon arrow off the edge of the apron to the floor, which unfortunately Tony Schiavone was in mid plug for the countdown special and had to finish his plug before he could react to this absolutely insane ma- uh, moment. And then we get what what's quickly replacing my uh, fight forever as my most hated chant it's the holy shit chant because we got to censor it. And at least now they just censor nonstop and they're not just trying to catch shit when the crowd says it. But still my just, oh, you, fig- you figure like so many weeks in now, um, like if TSN had they, that big of an issue with it, I mean, is this like don't what I think- don't understand? I would understand if it's like a blanket content issue but an hour and a half later i've got chris jericho calling pat mahomes a piece of shit on the microphone clear as day well okay here's the thing i think tsn tried to censor that one too but they were just late because i heard like a bit of silence after the fact that was very late but like i I, i'm trying to say you know if tsn has this this much difficulty with it you figure sometimes it is tnt it's it's not always just strictly a tsn thing either oh really because if it was TNT, like, I don't think Jericho would have just said that, would have just said shit, um, knowing that, you know, the, the broadcaster would have had any issue with it. And My I know- understanding is that TSN has the ability to, but sometimes it will be TNT as well, but I, I don't know which is which in, in these examples. All I'm trying to say is that, you know, I know it's only Canada, they're only the Canadian broadcaster, but still, if they have that big of an issue with it, you figure TSN would have complained to AEW, and AEW would have at least tried to cut it down, certainly, like, maybe wouldn't have had Jericho just blatantly say, you know, shit out, out there, um, and if, I, but it's silly, like, t- I, I, I don't know. I, I know there are different rules for like different countries and, and their broadcast codes, but come on. Is, is the word shit really affecting anybody? They even tried to censor the word asshole from the crowd here. And I thought crowd that was, chance to me. It's just, that was just I just fundamentally just disagree with that, that, that premise that that's somehow offending you. And it's something you have no control over as the broadcaster that, I mean, there has to be some leeway to what fans are going to chant. I mean, if you want to regulate promos and content okay i can understand that because that is at least under your jurisdiction of control but i mean i don't know i just 
I, I just go to the fundamental. I, I don't find swearing to be all that offensive to, to children, to anybody. It's just – anyway, that's a, I guess, deeper discussion. But we move on here and – Pack drop kicks Omega to the floor, and this takes out Paul Turner, allowing Pack to bring out a table and takes out Omega with a shooting star press to the floor. You have never seen a man more nervous than Pack on the top of this turnbuckle getting ready for this spot. But I really like the attention to detail of at least taking out Paul Turner before they did this. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, I didn't even think of that. Yeah. Because I think there was a time, um, you know, for going back to that first episode with Moxley and Omega with the glass. And, you know, that was like a thing about what does it take to get DQ'd in this company? Mm-hmm. And they're at least doing the little things to give, you know, credibility to the referee here that, I mean, he was legitimately out and could not have seen the, this table. And I'm just glad they're thinking that way. Very true. And they do a big count out tease. Omega gets in. It was an insane table spot. And Omega gets his knees up for the black arrow and starts fighting back with V-triggers. Poison Rana by Pac, and he applies the Brutalizer. With less than three minutes left, Omega fights to the rope. Pac then reapplies it. Omega's trying to block. He's trying to break the grip. But Pac is holding on, and time expires after 30 minutes. Um, After the fact, Pac attacks referee Paul Turner. Justin Roberts announces... Like WrestleMania 12, it's sudden death rules as the biggest baby face in this match, Aubrey Edwards, enters with a huge chant. And the overtime goes 61 seconds as Omega hits the V-trigger, followed by the Kamagoye, which can't keep Pac down, but the one-winged angel does. And Kenny Omega wins. Uh, spectacular. Spectacular match. Great match, yeah. Like like I said, you know, anytime they announce... Uh an Iron Man match, um, I, I certainly mentally prepare myself to, like, you know, potentially be kind of bored for the first half. Um, I, and I certainly felt like doing it on TV was a big risk. And after seeing this, I don't know why I doubted these guys, because this was, like, I think one of the best 30-minute Iron Man matches I've seen. In my opinion, it was the best Kenny Omega match I've seen in AEW thus far. Um, it just... I, I, I went into this... I went into this thinking, how in the hell... Are they going to top like the the tag match that Omega and Page just had with the Lucha Brothers last week? And I thought they did it. I I think this is like one of the best matches this year. Yeah, yeah, I I, I don't disagree. Um, yeah, I like the finish as well. You know, you drag it out to a sudden death so that in a way it kind of protects protects Pac, uh, because he you can the it's like the Brett finish, right? If he had held on to the move, um, he would have won, but because right. the time limit ran out, he had to let go. So he has that at least, you know, to to argue. But just it flew by. Thirty minutes passed, and I was like, I still wanted more. And, and you're talking to somebody again who, like, we watch so much wrestling. I rarely, rarely ever want matches to go more than you know. There are a lot of time, especially a thirty minute match. So this is was like to me a real accomplishment. Yeah, I I really love this match. Um, and threw in the Kamagoye at the end way. That was surprising. Yeah, I mean. So he seems to have adopted it now as sort of like a secondary finisher, or at least a, a lead-up move. Yeah, I almost took it like it's it's not a finisher. No, Didn't keep him not. down. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's our second uh, Kota Ibushi reference on Dynamite since this show has begun. Right. The other one being the video game. The video yeah. game. Yeah. And, and I don't believe it's it's going anywhere. I no. think it's more so just being thrown out there um, by Kenny. Yeah. Tony Schiavone interviewed Pac on the ramp, 
And Tony Schiavone, I mean, he, I thought, almost was about to turn himself heel here because he was just so over the top <laughs> saying, after all that you did to Kenny's friends, all of this build up, and then to come up and you fucking lose. <laughs> And it was like, you have just watched this guy go through this unbelievable war. I didn't think it was possible that I thought that they made Pac sympathetic to uh, Stephen A. Smith here, Tony Schiavone. Uh, I agree. Yeah. I mean, I know, I, you know, Tony's role here is to like, you know, antagonize. But yeah, it was almost a little too antagonistic here for a babyface announcer. Uh, I just wanted Pac to have a longer re- retort. He was just getting going, <laughs> accusing Tony of taking the piss when Orange Cassidy came out and Pac just drills him as the agents are out, Jerry Lynn, BJ Whitmer, QT, and they all tend to Orange Cassidy. And uh, that's going to be the, the pay-per-view match. We're going to get Orange Cassidy's first singles match in, uh, in AEW against Pac. I would say a really unique match to make, um, especially for like Orange Cassidy's first one. And, Part of me wonders if, like, part you know, maybe the thinking here is very similar to maybe what the online reaction was to, like, seeing Orange Cassidy versus Minoru Suzuki announce. Like, <laughs> your most badass, kind of, like, no-bullshit, like, uh, asshole type of wrestler versus, like, whatever Orange Cassidy is. You know, the slacker. Um, it's so, it's such a, it's a match that I have no idea how it's going to look because it can't strictly be a comedy match because Pac is not a comedy character. He's somebody that you have to protect. Um, so how are they going to make it compelling? How are they going to get something out of it to satisfy audiences? Yeah, I, you know, coming off of like this loss for Pac, like you want to give him maybe a, like a, a definitive big win with the Brutalizer. But I think for Orange Cassidy, like you have to give that audience something here that it, it can't just be two minutes. I think you no. you have to give Cassidy something in this match. So I think there's a curiosity to see how this match is laid out. But mm-hmm. I, I do feel like Pac should get a definitive win here. For sure. For sure. But at the same time, it's like they've really held Orange Cassidy off. I mean, this is his first singles match, right? So the, the general AEW audience hasn't really seen um, so much of like what he can do. Um, I think saving it for pay-per-view is a really smart move because he is, at this point, like one of the more well-protected, most over guys in the company. So I think it's, a, it's kind of a, a nice little hook for the pay-per-view. Lexi Nair was outside the locker room of the Painmaker Posse, which is uh, like Jericho's uh, fight team, which is pretty much the inner circle. Jake Hager answers the door, and she asks if they can speak to Chris Jericho, and Hager does not speak. He's back to being the mute. Well, yeah, Jeff Cobb's gone, so. No mention of Jeff Cobb on the show at all. Yeah, yeah, it was almost as if he he worked for a different company. uh, he might have some time, some free time now with no New Japan Cup. True, you're right. Yeah. Um, well, who knows? Sammy Guevara, Ortiz, and Santana took on the Lucha Express, or sorry, the Jurassic Express, uh, with Luchasaurus, Marco Stunt, and Jungle Boy. And this is when uh, Taz popped onto commentary with Excalibur and Jim Ross. Uh, Luchasaurus, you know, was- uh, unless I, I hadn't heard it before, but um, I I feel like the Inner Circle have this new. Me- song for their entrance am i wrong 
typically they come out to Chris Jericho's music, but tonight I heard them come out to their own theme. Oh, they may have. I didn't notice. It sounded um, kind of like the Evolution music. But maybe that's just because I just watched the uh, Ruthless Aggression thing. Oh, yeah. We'll, 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 we'll chat about that at the end. I forgot about that. Uh, well, they, are they coming out to like some faux mo- motorhead? It just sounded like the opening chords, but I mean, all those songs sound like, you know, like rock, like Should instrumental the, uh, rock. Could have been the theme song for the pay-per-view. Um, what is the theme song for the pay-per-view? I don't know. Okay. Is it Downstate? It's not Downstate. Oh, dude, Downstate is performing live yeah. on Saturday. I know. Yeah. Are you sad you can't be there? Um, n- no, I'm. my state is up that I will not be seeing Downstate live. <laughs> if Downstate played a, a concert in Toronto, would you go? Is that a serious question? What, <laughs> yeah. What, what, what would... What would possibly get me out of my house to depart with money to go and sit in a seat and have to hear whatever the the catalog of songs that that Downstate has to provide to me? If I like there, there is a part of me that as as much as I like the guy, I will never 100 percent have positive thoughts about Braden just because of that that trip, because of what he did to me. I just I as much. He he just will not be a perfect person in my <laughs> in my Rolodex of friends because of that. What if they were like opening for Aqua? Would you go late? Aqua would never stoop to that level. To Whoa! To, <laughs> unless maybe maybe Aqua could do a cover of All In. That I want to hear. Ortiz uh, Santana's still wearing the eye patch. Um, you know, this was just like a fun six man tag with a million things going on at once. It built up. After getting the heat on Marco Stunt, they got the huge hot tag to Luchasaurus. He hit the fossilizer on Santana, which is Jim Ross's new favorite move, and then continued with a choke slam, standing moonsault. They triple teamed Sammy Guevara with triple super kicks. Stunt dove through Sammy's legs as he was set up for a vertebraker. And then Jungle Boy rolls back, hits his head, allowing Bryce Remsburg to tend to Jungle Boy. And Sammy got the loaded sock, and Darby Allen appears out of no way. Nowhere grabs the sock away and Jungle Boy rolls up Guevara and pins him. So Darby costs Sammy the the victory here, and then Darby sends Sammy onto Ortiz and Santana on the floor. So a lot of losses for Sammy Guevara heading into Revolution at the hands of Darby Allen. It's true, but you know what? I mean, didn't affect. I think doesn't affect my interest in that match at all. Um, I and I was I think I was probably somebody who. Suggested that, you know, why did it have to be Sammy Guevara losing to Dustin last week? But he, he gets the better of Darby later in the show as well. So true, it wasn't like right. the, this was the the final interaction between these two. But I guess like Sammy is kind of in a position where he can lose and it doesn't matter because like he's such a shit disturbing heel that you still hate him either way. And you still want to see him get his ass kicked by Darby Allen specifically that, I mean, he could take these losses and it doesn't matter. So at least for this cycle. And, you know, Jungle Boy got a good win coming out of this. I thought this was, like, a really excellent multi-man match that was, like, the perfect way to follow an Iron Man match, you know? Not to say, like, the Iron Man match was slow-paced at all, but this was, like, that much faster because you had six guys doing this type of style of match that was just, like, full of high spots. And then, you know, Luchasaurus, again, like, one of the most over guys in the entire company, just clearing house. I I, I feel like the temptation is always going to be there to break him off as a singles, but I really hope they, like, resist 
for like a, a good while because I think he just feels so much more special being like such a big guy amongst like such a smaller crop of other guys that um I I'd love to I just love him in this sort of like mix. They aired a video for Cody and MJF with MJF talking about their friendship. This was before Full Gear and then showcasing the turn at the pay-per-view as we went into the song Dead to Me by the Wolves. Okay, so that's the theme, isn't it? Uh, no. It was the music they used here. I don't know if it's like the overall pay-per-view theme, but uh, oh. perhaps it is. Uh, uh, they- I believe this was like taken right from the countdown show, and I, I watched like the first 15 minutes of it. It, it looks really good. Um, because it's got like, I haven't gotten to that point yet, but like Randy Couture's in this, John. Oh my God. Really? Cause John Moxley is training at extreme. Couture. Yeah, of course. That's the connection. Yeah. So, uh, he's in this, I, uh, I'm trying to think who else. Oh man. The section with like, uh, the bucks and, uh, talking uh, the bucks versus o- Omega and page is really good because they use all this other footage from, um, BTE to tell like this very long narrative that like was really well done. Like I've seen their prior, um, countdown shows like uh, specifically the one before full gear they've really kind of hit their stride with like storytelling and production for this cycle and i would say this one was like a higher level oh that's great i'll definitely watch that it, lo- it looks really uh intriguing they've done very good w- with those in the past um and yeah they recap the stipulations and cody planning to give mjf his own scar at revolution and yeah nothing that this was the the lone involvement of these two on the show tonight. I guess they they felt they kind of peaked with the the cage match last week, and there's the didn't need, feel the need for a promo from either this week. I yeah, I didn't dislike that at all. Sometimes you 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 know to, you can you can risk um, cooling something off with like a, a a week of nothingness. You know, maybe a promo or two would have been kind of nice. But then like, what more could you have achieved doing a promo that you couldn't have achieved with a video like this? I guess, you know, for for time, I, I think we could have heard from MJF this week, perhaps, just coming off the cage match. Um, but, I mean, they have done a really great job with the, with this program. I don't think you necessarily had to have something tonight because they, they have done so much over the past two months with this storyline. Uh, the Best Friends versus The Butcher and The Blade. Uh, Orange Cassidy came out. He was selling the attack from Pac, and they had the advantage on Trent for a long time. Blade drives him into the guardrail, but Trent came back with a spear. And as the four were on the floor fighting, the Bunny and Cassidy rolled into the ring and just everyone stopped what they were doing to watch these two. He goes to put his hands in the pockets and the Bunny stops him, takes his shades and puts them on. So she goes for a low blow. He catches her, takes the Bunny ears and puts them on. The audience is going nuts for this. And then... The blade goes for Orange Cassidy, who avoids him, hits a tope suicida onto the butcher on the floor, and it leads to strong zero on the blade as the best friends win. I thought it was a pretty standard match here. Um, I wouldn't say anything that special, but the crowd really lit up, of course, when Orange Cassidy came into the ring. Um, What a strange phenomenon this whole thing is. You know, the fact that this guy, of all the wrestlers on that roster, happens to just be like... (laughs) one of the most popular wrestlers on television right now is, is insane to me. So how, again, how they handle uh, his in his first in ring appearance will, will be very intriguing to me. Cause I, I'm sure it was like quite the puzzle. Sir, sure, Like, you know, this gimmick works, you know, in a GCW setting or an indie, indie wrestling setting, but um, to translate it to TV, will they do anything differently? I don't know. 
Shivani interviewed the best friends, and this is where they announced the pack orange Cassidy match for Revolution. Chuck Taylor was tasked with cutting the promo, saying the joke is on pack because this time he's going to try. And the crowd chanted, he will try. Like, Orange Cassidy is the Brock Lesnar of that team. You know, like, or he's like, you know, I don't know. Like, the, he's the guy that, that is so protected and you only... He definitely puts the less in Lesnar. <laughs> you have to pay to see Orange Cassidy. Whereas best friends are, like, just on TV every week. They aren't dark. They just wrestle all the time. They're, like, the guys that heat up Orange Cassidy, which is, is crazy to me. But obviously it's working. Yuka Sakazaki, Big Swole, Shanna, and Hakaru Shida had a four-way match. Uh, Yuka's teeth were completely repaired. Oh, yeah, you're right. Well, they I didn't mean, even bring up. like That was a pretty significant injury. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, you know, dental technology is very impressive these days. Got it. So, so I shouldn't have felt so bad for her. This is yeah. an easy fix. This is an afternoon at the orthodontist. Yeah, certainly no no attempt at like, you know, her getting revenge on Britt Baker. Honestly, it's something I didn't even think about. Well, I, I think it w- when you do stuff like that to me, it's like that's a waste of an angle then. I feel like it was just a way to like showcase, you know, Britt Baker as a heel rather than anything longer term for Yuka Sakazaki, but I co- I totally understand what you're saying. I think it's it's a bigger problem with I think the AEW women's division at large is just like there doesn't seem to be too many individual stories outside of like the focused few and you had a match here between these four where i would say like the problem exists for all four of them where you can't really point to one you know specific narrative that each any any one of them are is is currently going through yeah uh, of the four certainly yuka zakazaki was the most over of of these four women um i, I thought big swole looked uh looked better in the in this i thought she got a, a lot of shine throughout um Yuka Sakazaki got placed in the corner, and then Shida delivered a snap suplex to Shanna, sending her into Sakazaki. Uh, they got into the striking exchange between Swole and Shanna with a headbutt, head kick, and a cutter from Swole. Shanna then lifted her up for a double underhook uh, slam. That was onto Sakazaki, and then Shida hit a Michinoku driver to Sakazaki on top of Big Swole, getting a two count, and then there was a running knee strike uh, from Shida to pin Big Swole at the end of this. I thought it became a, a decent match. Um, I, I felt maybe a little bit awkward and clumsy at times. I I think I also found the crowd's energy a little bit lower for this one. And I think much of that, again, has to do with just the lack of, I think, clear favorite for for who the crowd wanted to, to win. Maybe it was supposed to be Yuka Zakazaki. I don't know. I thought they were ch- chanting a lot for Big Swole as well. But the match was not really crafted to play towards any of those um, allegiances. In fact, it was like... More, I found a lot of focus on on Shanna, who looked great, but she's not really as over with the audience as a favorite. Um, I I ultimately kind of felt like it was hard to focus on somebody that I I wanted to win. There was no clear favorite, uh, and I think much of that comes down to character development too, and the lack of interviews and the lack of promos, and really just the lack of consistent appearance for a lot of these the, the members of this particular match. So. Um, you know, hopefully, I mean, it's so, it seems like it's 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 a number of like starts and stops with like women in this division. I thought Big Swole was going to get something coming out of like the 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 challenge last week. She came out on stage, remember? Yeah, like, and, and it was like just got passed over for the title match, and then loses here, and seems like she's 
at the back of the line. So I I, I thought that they were gonna you know put the focus on Big Swole and 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 make me um want to see her story continue, but that seems to be cut short for now because it seems like it's Hikaru Shida that's next in line. I think when we when we talk about you know just focus being diverted so many different directions, I think a much cleaner path would have been coming off of last week. We do. Chris Statlander, big swole this week, mm-hmm. and then we get our challenger. And, yeah. you know, let's wait till after the pay-per-view, and we'll reintroduce Sakazaki from the injury. Then we can have Hikaru Shida, if whatever we're doing with her, because none of this is time-sensitive for the pay-per-view. All of this can be, these women, there's, there's no rush here. That this week, there was a simple setup last week, and then... You do the match this week, and Statlander wins. And I think Statlander Swole would have had a better opportunity at getting over with this audience, who has already seen 90 minutes of pretty incredible stuff, that this is a very tough spot where, you know, some of these women are not at the level. I totally agree. They could have done that number one contenders match this week, uh, and I think it would have provided a much more clear story to what we're going to get on Sunday, certainly more so than, I think, the match that we got here. Uh, They promoted the podcast, and then Dark Order did a quick promo saying the Exalted One is near and indicated they'll be taking on SCU at Revolution. So that looks to be another match, and said that Christopher Daniels will find himself obsolete. Too obvious, you think? I think they're just being way over the top now. I mean, the guy's contract is technically not up yet, so... Isn't it up on March 1st? Well, we're not at March 1st yet. Oh, I mean, the promise that he was going to be here next week. I, I, I suppose what what I'm trying to say is, was this too easy? Was it so obvious that, like, it's almost like making me think that it's not going to be Matt Hardy? I, th- I think they're just trying to throw out lots of um, different ideas. Um, Do you think it's Matt Hardy? It's really hard to say because he's, like, not, like, it's not 100% that... He's going to leave WWE yet, so I don't think you can necessarily say one way or the other. I mean, he might get some unbelievable offer, and he's going to have a change of heart before Sunday. Thing is, you know, you throw out lines like this. I mean, if it's anybody but Matt Hardy, I think, like, you really risk a lot of disappointment. I mean, they've been teasing stuff with Matt. Like, I mean, Matt's been teasing stuff throughout. So, I mean, Mm -hmm. it's hardly like it's going to be a surprise if it's Matt Hardy, regardless of putting in these lines or not. I think they're just trying to raise uh, speculation and expectation yeah the issue is that if it's not matt hardy it has to be someone of comparable or higher status than matt hardy once you've hinted at him like, like if it's who, who could me, that possibly once you're be? teasing matt hardy uh luke harper to me is underwhelming after you've teased matt hardy who so who would you say i mean certainly there are a lot of wrestlers that are above like matt hardy in terms of stature but for a role like this um and that's that's a free agent right now like who could it possibly who could who could be uh not a disappointment if it wasn't Matt Hardy? Luther. <laughs> Don't know about that. Um The Rock. <laughs> if the Rock showed up as the exalted one, I think people wouldn't be disappointed. The great exalted one. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. But seriously, there's nobody else. I really I trying to think. Jim Ross. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think so. Vince McMahon. <laughs> it was me all along. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, it's George Barrios. See, that would make you and I uh, pretty crazy. I think Brandon Howard would, would be going uh, oh, nuts. Just with a mask with the hair popping out at, to- at the top. 
I think it would be Barrios and Wilson, like like a two headed monster. Maybe you put two of them like within like a big shirt together with like a big neck hole. And they announced we're launching the AEW network. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> We've got all the data. <laughs> That's what join the Dark Order means. Join it for nine ninety nine. Uh, I love that. No one's going to top George Barrios as the exalted one. Um, Jim Ross did his sit down with Kenny Omega, Hangman Page, and the Young Bucks. He asks Matt, did you ever expect to be in this situation? And these two being tag champions, and Matt can't believe it. He can't believe that they are not tag champions and that Omega and Page are. They're great singles wrestlers. JR believes that the Bucks are the best tag team in the world, but why haven't you won the tag titles yet? And Omega says that, you know, we stumbled onto something great. The Bucks are the best tag team, and they inspire us. Page is sitting there with his beer, sarcastically says, oh yeah, it was all just a big accident. And JR just puts him on the spot. Hangman, why are you so uncomfortable? And Page got really uncomfortable by this question about being uncomfortable. Matt explained that they are his best friends, but on Saturday we're competitors and we're going to be the best team. Page reminds him, I tried to leave the elite and you wouldn't even listen to me. And the Bucks start saying, do you know all we did for you? We put you on being the elite. You are just a jobber in ring of honor. Page says, this is the first title. This is the biggest accomplishment of my career. And the minute I get it, you're trying to take it away from me. So he got up, stormed out, I thought the segment was awesome. I thought Hangman was really compelling here. Mm -hmm. But again, Jim Ross was made for this role. He yeah. was fantastic as the moderator. I totally agree. I totally agree. I mean, for some reason, I think like you put Jim Ross in that situation automatically. I think you could take it a little bit more seriously. And maybe something has that some of that has to do with just, you know, the credibility that he's maintained. And maybe that comes with questioning things like the alien gimmick and you know, maybe calling out things that seem a little too cartoonish because um, when he when he's serious, I think he's certainly at his best. So um, it, he's great. But I mean, I was very impressed with Paige, his body language, even when he wasn't speaking. I thought, like, told you everything you needed to know about where his head was at as a character. Matt Jackson, I think, though, continues for me to be like such a I don't such a such an outstanding mm, storyteller. Uh, not just when it comes to, you know, in ring, but like in situations like this where he I thought I felt like he did the bulk of the heavy lifting here, like talking for, I guess, the two teams. And um, he was great. Like, I, I love the little kind of like, uh, quote unquote, maybe like, you know, insider references here. This was, to my knowledge, like the first reference to Bullet Club uh, in AEW, the first reference to Ring of Honor. Um it worked like they had to escalate this a little bit, you know, more from like, you know, is hangman really pissed off? Well, now, you know, hangman is really pissed off because he said it. So I believe the match in the match, you'll probably see that escalation just hit uh, another boiling point. I really enjoy segments like this. I thought it um, really added a lot for this tag match uh, beyond just being a great match. I thought they really hit on the uh, on the friendship here. That is the story of this match on Saturday. Yeah, I mean, it's not exactly similar to the Golden Lovers Young Bucks storyline, but it it it's kind of along the same veins, and and I hope they find that same amount of magic in the match itself. 
where like going into the match, it's like, okay, I mean, this is sort of a friendly thing. It's going to be a bit of a friendly competition. And, but then in the body of the match, things just like all of a sudden get that much more heated and coming out of the match is when the friendship is completely, um, irreparable. So I look forward to seeing what they can do. Do you think this would be the role Kota Bushi would be in had he come here at this point in AEW? Do you think that he would be in a similar like Hangman Page role teaming with Kenny Omega or would you see something drastically different for him? See, I don't know if they would have redone that story. Um, I also don't think that they really probably would have had anything planned until like, you know, um, I think Kenny's totally different in AEW if, if Kota comes in. I think that's almost like the prime story because that they had already begun that in new japan and then this would have been just the natural extension of it and i think that i think kenny and Kota would have been like the prime focus i think of, of of the company during the first few months as a lead tag team yeah yeah um they, they hold i, I think ma- many ways both. you could have gone whether you rekindle the the tag team or you, you eventually split them off uh mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just a interesting what if. Yeah. They plugged the signing of Lance Archer um, and said that there would be more on that uh, next week. So uh, he turns 43 on Friday. Wow, really? What a birthday yeah. present. New mm-hmm. contract. Final segment is the weigh-in. And they said that there's only one person that can host the weigh-in. And I was waiting for my co-host to be introduced here in Kansas City. Jeez. The only Take way in that matters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was going to wait for you to like bring out Gina Carano and uh, Kenny Florian. Instead, it was Gary Michael Capetta who came out uh, to introduce both men. And you could tell he was, uh, he was definitely, I, I think, a little caught up in being in front of such a large crowd. But in terms of the voice, guys still got it. Oh yeah, still got okay. those pipes. Is he still active? Like as like doing non wrestling stuff? I mean, he goes to conventions and stuff. I don't know how much um, ring announcing he actually does anymore. Um, maybe on like a like a small level. He's got a very underrated book. If you've uh, never read uh, Body Slams, very interesting book. Actually, the the best story I remember from reading that, and this is almost 20 years ago, was when he was the ring announcer with WWF, a young Shane McMahon would often like sit next to him. And Capetta explained in his book that there was one night he spoke to Shane and he said, what's the one lesson you've learned from your father? And Shane, and granted, this is probably teenage Shane or so, so he's like really young. He tells Gary, never let your talent know how much you're worth. Then you can get away paying them less. That's terrible. Oh, man. (laughs) That's terrible. Okay. Anyway, that's my Gary Michael Capetta story. Um, But a very good book uh, if you want to check it out. John Moxley is out first, followed by the pain maker posse that came out (laughs) with their version of the Gracie train. And I thought... This was so great. This whole thing was awesome, man. It, like oh. they they modeled it right after a boxing, um, like a big boxing weigh in. And I mean, we've seen them do. We've seen wrestling just like abuse the contract signing so much that I thought it was so refreshing to see another variation of that in the form of a weigh in, 
um, to, to especially go- coming off the Tyson Fury, Deontay Wilder like mess with their uh, weigh in on on Friday, and that was such a big sports story over the weekend. Like just the whole fight in general. To um, I just thought it was a really nice change of pace doing a weigh in, and it also just like having everybody surround the ring, having all this build up and fanfare leading up to guys standing on a on a scale. I mean, it sounds so silly, but it works because it just feels like it's such a grand event seeing everybody there. So Gary Michael Capetta goes to call on Jericho to stand on the scale. And Jericho just grabs the mic, calls Gary a weird little man and says, based on your technique, it's no wonder WCW went out of business. Everyone knows the pain maker goes on last. And I don't know if this was an audible or this was like a, a planned uh, mess up spot because uh, I, I didn't know. I didn't know what this was. Probably planned. Don't you think? Like just to to just make to get a, just a to get just to j- make Jericho the heel. It, it could have yeah. been, yeah. So Moxley gets on first. He's two hundred and thirty four pounds, the Brett weight, and then Jericho is just taking his time. Tells Kansas City to shut their ass, and then the Kansas City fans start the tomahawk chop and chant for their Chiefs, and the whole place is going nuts. This is always going to be to me the Atlanta Braves chant. Yeah, me too. Yeah, just because of the Jays World Series, but okay. So um, then, yeah. then Jericho gets the mic, and he calls uh, Pat Mahomes a piece of shit, and I'm pretty sure he called him Aaron Mahomes. I I, I wouldn't know either way. The quarterback? It didn't matter. This crowd reacted like he had just said that, uh, I don't know, like this was sacrilege. So he keeps just... Uh, stalling, and then he gets into Moxley's face, and Moxley headbutts Jericho and goes after the inner circle, and Jericho gets busted open on the bridge of the nose, and they do a close-up, and it looks like Moxley, like, nailed him. Do you think this was a hard way? This, it looked like he had a cut. Wow. Okay. I mean, I think they did the Joe Angle spot here. You didn't get the zoom in, but it looked like there was, like, a cut like right above his nose. Well, the timing just seems so perfect for 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 an actual like for a blade job. But uh, okay, well, either way, I don't, was... I don't, you wouldn't blade yourself there. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it looked great. It looked really good and added to the segment for sure. He's all bloody. Dustin Rhodes runs down and just goes after Jake Hager. This match is going to have a lot of heat because of Dustin. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I would say on the card, um, it's one of the lower ones, but I think Dustin is such a revered and you know um ah, such a pretty like i would say a pretty hot figure right now i'd say so i'd say dustin rhodes is kind of carrying the load in that one because yeah i think jake hager needs to come out and have like a really good performance because he has kind of just dissipated into the background of late i agree i agree i mean i don't really feel that anticipation to see him wrestle for the first time number one because it's like it's jack swagger like i've seen this guy plenty of times and it's not that special uh but i can't really say that they've kind of like you know, built up his first match to be such a big thing. Um, but, you know, Dustin will be beloved by this audience. Um, and the match, I'm sure, will be good. Rhodes took him out to the concession area. There was a the low knee from Hager and tossed Dustin into the Dippin' Dots. The Dippin' Dots. Ouch. Worse than that headbutt. They're cold. There's nothing more, there's nothing more ma- amazing than Jim Ross having to call the Dippin' Dots. Darby then runs down. He has his skateboard, 
But Guevara lands a knee on him and blasts Darby, breaking his skateboard over top of him. It's left with Jericho and Moxley in the ring, and it's Jericho that hits the paradigm shift to Moxley on top of the scale and poses on top of Moxley to end the show. Really nice visual to close the show with Jericho, like, bloodied face, uh, standing on top of Moxley on the scale, holding up that belt. It was a great way to send you into the pay-per-view. I, I, I really enjoyed this. Again, I thought it was a great variation on sort of like a, uh, you know, your traditional cliched contract signing that felt big, felt like an event in it, in and of itself. Um, contained, I thought, some very good character work from Chris Jericho, like very much delaying the like go doing doing the doing basically like stalling as much as he can before actually giving the audience the the weight then we never even got his weight did we no it was like this uh, what is the commission going to uh say about this very good question he must he will probably have weight in um maybe it's a morning of type of thing early morning wanes for chris jericho but i thought it turned out great Jericho was just fantastic in this last segment. I thought he really uh, carried this thing. Um, no, not to say the, the others, like it added a great atmosphere, just having everybody out there. But to me, Jericho was really the star of this segment. Great, great final segment. I thought tonight, uh, I thought there were like three home run segments with the Iron Man match, the Jim Ross sit down and this final segment. I thought mm-hmm. these were just tremendous segments. Yeah. On and, this- and a match. You know, yeah, I mean, without Cody and, and MJF having a presence on the show, it kind of gave a bit more space for, for you to tell the story of, like, you know, the Bucks and, and uh, Paige and, and, and Omega, um, you know, and that's, and, and then, of course, the main event here with, uh, um, uh, what is it, um, uh, Jericho and, and, and Moxley. And really, like, that's, you're, I'm sold, you know, like, th- those three matches alone, I think, are your kind of money-making matches. Everything else is just kind of like, you know, a bonus. And they're nice bonuses. You know, they're great showcases for uh, Darby Allen, Sammy Guevara, for Jake Hager, uh, Nyla Rose. Uh, you know, it's a chance to get eyeballs on them so that in the future, they might be the ones to actually be the be the draws. But um, the focus was put on the main programs, and I thought they did a good job with all of them. Yeah, I would say these top three matches are really, really strong in terms of the, the buildup. Like, I really cannot fault the... Um, like the 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 promotion for these top three matches. I mean, if you're looking at their last pay per view, that was like give or take a hundred thousand. What what is the success on Saturday? Man, it's it's so interesting because like I I've I've kind of learned that like my own enjoyment of something doesn't necessarily correlate with like how successful it might do in terms of business or ratings. So it's kind of hard for me to say, but I have to like. At least judging by maybe our feedback to the shows, I I have to imagine this will do better because I feel like the storytelling has really accentuated the 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 matches on paper. Already on paper, this was going to be a good card, but because the storytelling and the buildup has been so strong for those particular matches, I really do imagine and hope that I think the numbers will reflect that. Yeah, I think with Full Gear, I was surprised it didn't. It, the number wasn't that much more than. Uh, then uh, All Out was the one prior to that, just because you had, I mean, granted, it was only like five weeks of TV at that point. Now you've got several months uh, of build for this particular pay-per-view that uh, you would hope just naturally you've grown your audience and want, and that many more people are watching your show regularly that want to pay for this pay-per-view by the end of it. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, it'll, it'll be an interesting number to 
uh, analyze after the fact. You know, Full Gear was like a show where I think they were still very much learning how to put shows together, still still trying to figure out their, the proper balance between in-ring content and maybe storytelling backstage elements on Dynamite itself. I would say from January on, they really figured it out with Dynamite. And I would say like, there's maybe been one bad show in the bunch of like all the shows since like they came back in January. And that show will probably wasn't even that bad. It was just not as good as some of these other ones, but some of these others have just been like, they've been spectacular every single week. And I would, I would say the trend continued with this episode. Yeah. I mean, this was um, a solid, solid go home show uh, setting up Saturday show. So the pay-per-view lineup uh, before we get to the feedback here, we have Jericho and Moxley for the title MJF versus Cody. Kenny Omega, Hangman Page against the Young Bucks for the tag titles. Jake Hager versus Dustin Rhodes. Darby Allen versus Sammy Guevara. Nyla Rose defending the women's title against Chris Statlander. Pac versus Orange Cassidy. And not listed here, um, I guess we'll see about like SEU and Dark Order, but that's that was certainly indicated in the promo that that match is happening. Maybe maybe that will be on the countdown, uh, the, the pre-show. Yeah, yeah, the, the buy-in. Buy the buy-in, right. The buy-in, and I, 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 I don't really need anything more, honestly. Like, even if you just gave me the seven, I think I'd be perfectly happy because a lot of these matches are probably not going to be that short. You know, you could, you could see Omega and Page versus the Bucks getting thirty. You could certainly see MJF and Co- versus Cody getting thirty, and I certainly see the main event getting thirty. So, um, I, I don't think the card really needs that much more filler. All right, we go over to forum.postwrestling.com tonight on a scale of 1 to 10. Tonight's go-home show, you voted it a 8.3. Strong. Adam writes, uh, loved how uncomfortable that elite Jim Ross interview was. I think that was kind of the intent that they were trying to um, go for. for. Like, try to make it, like, personal and uneasy and and bringing up all that stuff. The whole story Uh, is tension. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh. Regarding uh, updates on AEW on TSN, um, last we heard it was doing well. Could you see TSN ever investing more in AEW a la Aftermath or even another company? I don't see TSN really going uh, more so into pro wrestling. Like, they, they did pick up the countdown show tonight. Yes, they did. Well, and what about that, what about that, that um, second T- TNT show? That'll be an interesting one. I mean, in terms of AEW content, like if AEW is producing content, I think TSN will certainly, um, at the very least, consider it um, if they have room for it in their schedule. But they've got you know, like five TSNs, man. Well, they've they've got like a lot of stuff as well. Um, yeah. And and wrestling is not going to be their their number one priority. But in terms of like developing a studio show to cover AEW, that I don't see TSN doing. No, I don't see that happening either. Um... I mean that was honestly I'm a little surprised that it even still exists on a uh, Sportsnet but um I mean much of that was because of Arda right coming like suggesting it and then that was a part of the score and then because they were so you know the show was successful Sportsnet continued it when they when they bought that out it's a very different like um I think I don't know philosophy I certainly don't see TSN doing it myself we go to Paul. Uh, Paul? Yeah, go ahead. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Why don't you finish that? Uh, this was, his comment was just about his 82-year-old Eastern European grandpa likes wrestling and has watched a bit of AEW. He thinks Jeff Cobb is related to Taz, and I believe he thinks AEW is owned by WWE, and it's all for business. Ooh, interesting. Conspiracy. I guess so. Paul from New Jersey. I'd love to um, 
talk to your 82 year old grand grandfather um we go to paul from new jersey who says omega pack was terrific as expected v trigger city Ali versus Orange Cassidy is a match I didn't know I wanted to see. Fun spot. What was with that elite promo? That was awful. Overall, a fun, fast-moving show. Pretty sure Jericho called Patrick Mahomes Kansas City quarterback Aaron. What a hoser. Question, does MJF get his comeuppance at Revolution, or does that feud continue? I think I think there's certainly the opportunity to do something with Arn in in that. I mean, you've... You've done this story now where you've got to keep Cody away from the title, and you can go two ways. You could have him get his revenge on MJF, which isn't the worst idea. It's a solid win for Cody, and then maybe they go in the direction of this this next championship that could really be built around Cody, or you could extend this further, and I think it's a matter of time before Arn leaves Cody um, that you could do that. I feel like there's there's more life in, in the program than just one match, you know, um... Unless they, you know, have a change of philosophy where they feel like they're not going to drag uh, feuds up for the sake of dragging them out. But I don't think that's it. I think the audience is clamoring for more than just one match between these two. So I see it continuing personally. Billy was at the show. Says, I came from St. Louis to be at this one live, and the room was electric from start to finish. Anyone doubting if the old Kenny is still in there can stop now. Pack and Orange Cassidy is a dream match that is going to drive pay-per-view buys. Great booking. Kenny says, I love the show tonight. Omega and Pac was about as good as wrestling gets. My only complaint, and I get that I'm, an, I'm the prude here, but can a DDT on concrete followed by a super brain buster at least be a two count? This might be a dumb question, but do we know if Santana's eye patch is legit? If so, the guy's ability to work a six man like that is incredible. Uh, oh, he means like, can he actually see through the eye patch or is it a real eye patch? Um, yeah, oh, yeah. I don't, I we wouldn't no know. Uh, I have never been more wrong about a wrestler than I was about Orange Cassidy. I was sure his act would be would die on TV, but he's consistently a highlight of the show for me. I can't wait to see him kick Pac's butt on Sunday, Saturday. Finally, say what you want about Jared's commentary, but his sit-downs have been amazing. That interview, interview did more for the Elite than anything else they've done on Dynamite thus far. 10 out of 10. Hey, um, on the topic of commentary, what do you think about like uh, Taz... Kind of like joining in as like he he pretty much like took over for Tony after like the first match, didn't he? Because Tony was doing so many interviews. Yeah, I don't mind it at all. I I think Taz fits in there really well. It's a different dynamic with, without Tony, and um, I, I like having Tony on the team, but I, I don't need him there for the whole two hours. So I'm fine with Taz coming in there. I like Taz a lot. Like Taz and Excalibur are a really good team together, and again, it's like this is serious Taz who's just like very. Um, well, very knowledgeable, of course, about what's what's in ring. But he's been very knowledgeable about the storylines and the characters too. So I think the two of them are great together. When you add Jr. to the mix, I think it's still very good, still very much the same thing. Um, but um, it's you know, I guess a a bit more of a a bit more star power attached to it. I guess with Jr. and Taz both there, so I I like it. In many ways, I actually kind of prefer it to the Tony Tony Excalibur Jr. team. Um, but I know Tony kind of has its appeal, his appeal as well, because it's, you know, it's nostalgia. He's sort of like the guy who is impressed by everything he sees in 2020, 2019. That's fun too. But I think if I had to choose between the two teams, I would, I would choose to have. JT from Manchester. Fun show, great opener, and a lot of really good stuff like the Cody MJF vignette and the Bucks Omega page sit down. 
But mostly I have a question. Does AEW have a 10 count or a 20 count outside the ring? Jimmy Corderas has been saying it's a 20 count, but I've got no memory of seeing or hearing this mentioned before. Google throws up a couple of articles that mention it, but they aren't officially from AEW, so I can't tell. Didn't they do okay. a 10 count in the, in well, the tonight, match? Tonight they did a 10 count because that's what Kenny had to beat to get in. So tonight it was a 10 count. Yeah. I can't recall them ever teasing a, a 20 count. But th- I was actually thinking about that when they were on on the floor, if they if they do the, the 20 count or not. Because I can't remember too many count out teases that they, they've done in the past. Mm-hmm. Pretty sure it's 10. I like. Well, well, tonight it was definitely 10. Like That yeah. was when Kenny beat the count. We got a new one from Vaughn who says, Hell of a way to finish the built-out revolution. Excellent Iron Man match. I thought it was Kenny's best performance in AEW thus far. Just great stuff. I love the closing brawl, and especially the callback to week four of Dynamite with the Dippin' Dots. There was a callback to Dippin' Dots? Yeah, that was the last one where they did the concession brawl, and Jim Ross went nuts about the Dippin' Dots, so I think that was by design tonight. Oh, I, I didn't even realize. Wow. Do uh, you think that that's a sponsorship, or is it just a funny thing? Or, or maybe a sponsor they're courting. Ooh. Dip, yeah, we got to get that Dippin' Dots money. Says it's a 9 out of 10 show. Going to be live in Chicago for a revolution on Saturday and will definitely give my live thoughts on the show. I'm so excited to see Orange Cassidy versus Pac. Should be fantastic. Yeah, we, we're going to be doing a live uh, post show for Double Double Plus patrons on Saturday. So um, if you're a Double Double Plus patron, do watch us live. And if you happen to be an attendee, please call in. Jay from Colorado. Excellent show. I couldn't tell you the last time we got this good of a go-home show over on WWE, let alone three straight weeks of eight out of ten shows. JR always plays the awkward interviewer so well, he helped make that entire segment fantastic. We all know where the story with the Elite is likely to go, but they do so good at making it interesting, it doesn't matter if it plays out how we think it will. As long as they tell the story in an interesting way, that's really all I care about, and they're going above and beyond in that regard. Revolution was already a stack card, and the addition of Orange Cassidy versus the Bastard Pack sweetens it even more. I'm super excited to see AEW live next week in Denver for the Revolution Fallout and Lance Archer. I never would have thought after hearing him getting signed a few weeks ago he'd come aboard so fast. I said it last week, and I'll say it again. AEW spoils us. We go to Nick from Lansing, who says AEW had a lot to live up to with with the high of last week and the prospect of Revolution coming up this week, but I think they lived up to the hype starting with an excellent Iron Man match and ending with a fun chaotic brawl that left you excited for Mox and Jericho to go at it. I think one of the best compliments you can give them as a company is the trust the fans live in attendance have. As exciting as Omega and Pac was, there was a very close near fall where I expected the fans to give the obligatory that was three chant, but surprised by the response of AEW. The sit down with the Young Bucks and Omega and Hangman was excellent. Great use of JR as he balances the role of interviewer and peacekeeper, putting over the bucks but recognizing Hangman's building frustrations as the interview goes on. The inevitable storm out was played out perfectly. That match will be incredible. With the announcement of a new match on Saturday, who, which do you think has the potential to be match of the year? Orange Cassidy versus Pac or Orange Cassidy versus Minoru Suzuki? I don't know what we're going to see on Saturday, but I think whatever it is, I think it's going to be really great. That's my prediction. For both of those matches, the atmosphere, I think, will be the one of the biggest hooks. You know? Yeah. Um, where, where do you put that ma- that match in terms of, like, positioning on the card? Yeah, it's an interesting one. I mean, I certainly hope that it's not going to be part of the buy-in. I think it deserves um, maybe a big. I think it'll definitely that. be on the main show. Yeah. I think so. Uh, you know, it, it can be great um, comic relief 
in the middle of the show. I think starting the the show off with it can work too, but I almost think it it, it would it would be better as like a come down maybe after the Kenny Omega and Adam Page versus Bucks match, which could potentially be like you know a very emotional affair, or maybe even after MJF and Cody. But um, I mean, we've also seen them like pretty much like go in order of importance, right? I prefer that method. I kind of prefer like the New Japan method that like those last three matches we go in order and it's just one escalation after the next. Mm -hmm. And I think that I just kind of prefer that that kind of style of of booking a show. Right. Yeah. But I I think it's it'll be first then. Could be first. I I could see it being like one of the first three matches, maybe like second or third somewhere in the middle. Um, we'll see, but I think it's going to be a really, really hot atmosphere for that match. And the last one here, uh, a great night for AEW, a killer dynamite to lead into the pay-per-view and the road to AEW revolution was exceptional. If that's the same crew that we're doing videos for TNA, I'm happy that they're getting to show their impressive production skills on a larger platform with TNT nine out of 10 for tonight's dynamite, 10 out of 10 for the countdown to revolution special. Well, okay. Yeah. sounds like it was a great rest of the show that we'll we'll both uh watch and if we have any thoughts maybe we'll chat about it tomorrow yes yeah we'll chat about it on thursday uh a uh ruthless aggression the evolution episode uh you had a chance to see it uh this one to me i, I don't think we have to spend as much time as the, the first episode because after the first one they kind of got all their insanity of their historical recollections out and now it's more so the second episode was more so centered around john cena and mm-hmm. Episode three on evolution, which to me, you know, you and I have always brought up like the the footage that this company is just sitting on. And to me, (laughs) this was really to me, did did I oversell it or did I deliver in terms of my expectation that I I gave you for what footage (laughs) of Randy Orton they just were able to dig up and that there was a camera on this man nonstop during his absolutely insane period well i'm certainly impressed by how much footage they have but i'm also just as impressed anytime they do something like this of the whoever's cataloging these shots whoever's responsible for digging out this like one betamax tape that must be like crammed in the corner somewhere just to get find somehow find this specific shot of randy orton saying mockingly i'm a baby face i'm a baby face to to illustrate this one smile you little punk oh it's incredible it's incredible like um (laughs) randy orton being an asshole at an autograph session let's look (laughs) up oh there's plenty here randy you're the big man in town (laughs) go away no seriously go away i'm sure they've got a system where it's just like keywords randy orton asshole asshole, and just a full 10 pages all i will say is like if you are a newer wrestling fan over the past like i would say eight years and you weren't following Randy Orton in the mid 2000s. Like this dude for like, there was literally a point where it would not have surprised me for them to fire Randy Orton. Like that's how bad things were for this guy who was just, I mean, this, this the, to me, this episode, it really, it just shows you Randy Orton just was the ultimate asshole at, at times in his career. And it, very interesting just to see as well kind of just this formation of this group uh, a big focus on Mark Jindrak who was all over the first episode and how close he came to being in evolution the other name that was always like kind of tied to the planning stages was Rhino that they never addressed in this mm. episode they just kind of focused on on Jindrak and um the Jindrak stuff to me was the most interesting 
because I didn't know about it personally. Uh, and, and if you hadn't seen it, they basically tell the story of how when Evolution was created, they had their eye, of course, on Randy Orton and Dave Bautista as sort of the two prospects that they're going to lift up. But then, like, you know, within weeks of them debuting, both of them got injured. And Bautista, Randy Orton came back, but unfortunately, Bautista um, started training a little too fast and was re-injured again and ultimately was out for, what, seven months, John? So they were uh, planning a replacement for him. And in the replacement they were looking for, they found Randy Orton's very good real-life friend, Mark Jindrak. And they had Mark Jindrak appear on the show talking about that experience of almost being in evolution. And I, you know, I didn't realize it went as far as them, like, actually shooting vignettes. And so we get to see these outtakes of, like, evolution, you know, slowly walking down a road with just the most bizarre sight of seeing Triple H, Ric Flair, Randy Orton, and Mark Jindrak all in suits as they're walking. And just the heartbreak they would go on to describe of, like, how during that shoot, they shot the four of them together, but they also shot the just the three of them together, just in case. And that type of stuff is just so compelling, especially because they had the actual footage that they can use to, like, spell out that heartbreak. Yeah, and I was trying to, like, figure out, like, the, the, the timeline of this because I had always thought that, like, Jindrak was rumored, like, right at the start of Evolution. In this, it's kind of, yeah, it's presented as um, with Batista down, they might have put Jindrak in. Although Batista clearly says in this thing, like, his spot was never in jeopardy. He was always... Uh, he was always going to be in the group, and I, I just don't know. Uh, I, I just can't remember like the well, timing. But Jindrak was definitely linked to this, and I remember hearing about these vignettes at the time. Well, the video, like, really, like the 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 vignette proved it, didn't it? Like that. Well, I didn't know if the video was like one of the the, the very very start of evolution before they put Dave in the group, or was it months later when Dave was injured that they were looking at replacing him? Okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, according to to the to, to their interviews and their timeline, it was while Dave was injured. But yeah, sure. Who knows? But I thought that was really compelling. Um, I I thought like uh, all the stuff up, like the profile about um, Randy was was great. Now, did you find any like you know problems with, with at least the issues with like uh, truths in this one that? I mean this this one I just got I I I kind of watched without like really um taking notes or anything like that like t- to me is there anything glaring I mean they were certainly I mean I thought they were very honest in the fact that they really messed up the Randy Orton like leaving evolution that turn the the title switch like it was just totally awful the way they executed this and it was just stunning at the time because when like the goal of evolution, it was always get to Hunter and Randy. Randy was going to be the biggest benefactor of this group. And it was just by happenstance that Batista, you could argue, he became the bigger star. Certainly in 2005, Dave was the bigger star by, I think, a significant portion. But they put the title on Randy when he beat Benoit. And then the next night they did the turn and he drops the title back to Hunter three weeks later. And that was going to be like the WrestleMania match. And they went to it at Unforgiven. And Randy just was in a terrible role. And you could argue, and certainly they they do not shy away from how immature this guy was. And that's not an over-exaggeration, that it probably worked out for the best that they ended up 
stalling on Randy at this time, and he was still pushed, but Batista got into that role, and that build-up to WrestleMania was phenomenal. That was one of the great lead-ups to a WrestleMania with Hunter and Batista, and, you know, we we talk about, um, you know, we talked about, like, Austin and Lesnar and the idea of doing that match on TV. Batista talked about it years later. They wanted to do Batista and Hunter before WrestleMania on Raw, and... Batista alludes to it in the piece that, like, Hunter was the one fighting all these battles to keep them apart from each other, to hold off till WrestleMania, because they just couldn't help themselves. It's like, this is hot. Let's just throw it out on TV. And instead, they were like, no, we're playing the long game. And they ended up doing a huge number for WrestleMania. And Batista, like, they 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 created a genuine star in Batista during what was, you know, a down period for the company. Batista in this thing gives, like, just this glowing like, you know, um, admiration for Triple H being responsible for his successes. And I mean, um, certainly it's, 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 it's how he feels, but it also like, to me, like, it almost makes me feel like Randy Orton and Batista were like sort of Triple H's first big projects as far as like people that, you know, he was crafting and molding, which is what he does as of, uh, for, for every, anybody in NXT right now. So it, it you know, the way they framed it was almost like um, Hunter was developing these two talents, like uh, going as far as, you know, forget everything that you've learned um, in the past. Like they were, I think they were at least not shy. Oh, there, there, there was a real big dig at uh, at OVW in there by Hunter, like yeah. about Batista being just trained to be, you know, heel 101 out of the 70s and not taking I mean, bumps. Yeah, I mean, you could see Hunter certainly getting, like, being critical of the OVW development of Dave Batista. And Batista himself, um, years later, or sometime around this time, he took, like, a really big, like, negative um, shot at Jim Cornette, who was really upset about being characterized. And eventually, Batista actually did apologize over that, um, about kind of... But I, I think that was very much Batista just pretty much echoing the words of, of Hunter at that time hmm. and, you know, looking at Hunter as like his mentor and just um, uh, taking that, that point of view. Almost forgot Bubba Ray Dudley. Yeah. Let's talk about this. Okay. This is my biggest thing. This is, I don't know how many people are aware of this story. It was a pretty well-known one because uh, Bubba and Randy had like this back and forth a few years ago when it was the Will Ospreay ricochet um, best of the super juniors match and Orton Orton chimed in on that whole thing, mocking it, I recall, at some point. And somehow, Bubba got in there uh, with... Anyway, Orton took some shot at Bubba. And that, like, kind of opened up this wound that went back to this injury that happened in March of 03 on a house show with the Dudleys against Batista and Randy. And both of them got hurt. Batista, it was his triceps he tore. And Randy fucked up his ankle. And we've got... They did not interview Randy about this, and he was the point of view I think everyone wanted to hear from. But they got Bubba, and they got Batista, and they both had contradictory stories about how it happened. And I'm just thinking, this company, they've got footage of goddamn everything. And this is one instance where we've got two contradictory stories, and they don't have the footage. Unfortunately, it was a it was a random house show. Like who they would roll on house show. I you think they roll on? I'm shocked they don't have that 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 house show footage. Maybe today they do, but I mean, if it was like 2003, four, like 
I don't know. I even thought by that time – because, you know, for – it's not just like the idea of like just tape everything, but also – you know, from a from a legal standpoint, like when there are injuries or if th- there's some incident where like a fan storms the ring, like you want to have that footage to in case of any kind of legal issue that might come out of an event that happens at a house show that they will film everything. But oh three, I mean, maybe it's a case of they just didn't have the footage. But this was one instance where it was just screaming for highlights of the match and what exactly happened because you have two sides telling totally different things of their recollection of what happened. And uh, Batista did not have kind words for Bubba and Bubba was trying to be very diplomatic um, as he was interviewed for a WWE piece. It's so fascinating to me, like that they managed to get guys like Mark Jindrak and Bubba Ray Dudley. And really, like I would say, um, I, I, Depending on who who you talk to, I suppose you'll you'll maybe interpret it differently. You might believe one person, you might believe another. But personally, when I watched it, I felt Bubba Ray Dudley did not come across very well. You know, certainly if you're watching an evolution documentary, I think you you would probably side more on like the principal characters. And I thought it for me that was like Batista, um, who comes across like he always does. Like he seems like somebody who is not afraid to speak his mind. Um, no matter if no matter if it's about Disney or uh marvel studios or you know well obviously when it comes to wrestling so he was not afraid to you know call up bubba ray dudley saying that you know he was always uh an asshole to them and that he never let they never got along and bubba in contrast i i kind of felt was more like i didn't think i did anything wrong you know um this is how i remember it and it, it yeah really fascinating that you know even like on a documentary like this, we, we kind of had such a heated back and forth via two interviews. Um, beyond that, um, you know, it, it really felt like in that first episode, that looked like a new Jim Cornette interview. And I'm kind of amazed that he, like, not even a clip in this. Because the OVW stuff was pretty key about Batista, about Randy Orton. And to me, he's the only spokesman they have now from that OVW period. So I, I think his voice could have been uh, uh, could have lent itself here. Um, yeah, beyond that, I'm, I'm trying to think of like anything else. I mean, they really do position this as just evolution was this enormous success, which at the beginning it it wasn't like this thing clicked from day one. If in fact you had the comparison on SmackDown, where if you were putting your chips on one side of who were going to be the stars, I would have put it on Team Angle. Like that just seemed to be from the get go. You had you know, three tremendous talents and evolution. It was like Batista was, you know, not impressing anyone Mm -hmm. in terms of like what he was doing at the beginning. It took him like where he went from 2003 to 2005. I mean, he was never a remarkable wrestler, but certainly he, he found how to play his role very, very effectively. Uh, And Randy Orton, I mean, early Oh three, this was a guy that was dealing with a bunch of injuries. Certainly everyone saw potential in him. Um, but I, I think you know people were higher on Randy Orton, but um, it, it took Evolution a while before it's it's now just kind of revered as this like just legendary um, faction. Like it did take take some time before they they got to that. I, I would say by '04 you had the Mick Foley program with Randy Orton that really catapulted Randy, and you know as as you got on by the end of '04 you could really see Batista had something, and you had this match to build to it with Hunter, and that really cemented Batista as a top guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm kind of with you in that. Like, 
I personally personally don't look at Evolution as this like legendary group. Um but I you know, now kind of begins the well, I guess it's kind of started maybe like when they did the reunion about a year or so ago, but like the They'll do the Hall of Fame deal with oh them. Oh god. Like it's like the no. framing of like this 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 thing as this legendary group. And I guess in hindsight because of their careers, you can think about it as that. But I don't know. Like to to I wouldn't even like say they were on the level of like I don't know, certainly not on the level of a DX or a Horseman or or NWO, but I mean, if you're It's more about- so what what they all like Ultimately, it was the springboard for Randy and Batista, but more so what they did after Evolution as opposed to, mm-hmm. you know, r- when you look at this, this is a group that was around for 18 months and a significant port, like six months of that, there were a lot of injuries in there. Like you had probably a solid year from like summer of 03 to summer of 04 when they did the breakup. Like that was kind of the the run they had. Um, how about Ric Flair in this? Like they very much um, yeah. present him as just rock bottom in his in his confidence level that he's been very open about after WCW and this was kind of done as kind of Hunter's rehabilitation of, of Ric Flair at the time when he was um just to try and, and build himself uh back up that yeah Fla- Flair's talked about quite a bit. A lot of that I really didn't know. Um you know that that he was kind of going through that mental anguish. Um it certainly makes Triple H look like a really generous guy, you know, um, picking Ric Flair because he felt like he, he wanted to really help Ric Flair find his old uh, groove back, picking Randy Orton, picking Batista because he really wanted to help them in their careers. And maybe there's certainly, you know, I'm sure there's truth to it. I I also feel like um, maybe eh, the documentary didn't really... Um, talk about perhaps what the group did for his own career yeah they didn't go too deep into that i mean the the central focus really was like hunter is the brainchild of this whole thing and he saw these two diamonds in the rough and he brought them to prominence like that's kind of the um you know the the one-liner about this uh, documentary um i guess jindrak really is made to be like i really feel he was brought in to be you know, in some oh, ways, Triple like H buries him. Oh, Hunter, Hunter destroys this guy, and he really does feel like a punchline between the episodes of this documentary series I've seen. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you feel bad for the guy, and then there's that one scene where Hunter's talking about being in the car with these guys, and they have footage of he talks about them making animal noises, and they have fucking footage of these two guys in catering. And Randy is doing a Tasmanian devil impression. And Hmm. every viewer watching this is like, I totally understand Hunter's perspective here. Like these two guys sound like the absolute worst people in the world to be traveling with. It felt like, um, like Hunter pretty much says, I didn't like Jindrak at all. I didn't have any use for this dude. It was two grown ups sitting in the car with, with two children. And, um, the idea that Jindrak brought the worst out in Randy so. They they saw something in Randy, so we'll put up with his shit. But Mark, we don't see anything in, and we don't have to uh, torture they, they, ourselves they by being around this guy. They saw something in him, clearly. You know, Jindrak gets Jindrak gets a bad rap here. I I really thought that guy had a lot of tools that I think he was just way too young in WCW, but he had a he had a lot of talent, and he and he went on to have a fine career in Mexico as a 
Marco Cor- Corleone. Like, he would have productive, you know, very good years in, in wrestling beyond WWE. But I, I think he was just – he was – all you have to do is watch that first episode and see what the prevailing thought was of WCW and the power plant guys. And he was dead from the get-go. Like, he was just – and probably didn't do himself a ton of favors either. Um, but it's one of those things in wrestling when you hear, oh, this guy's got a bad attitude. It's – sometimes that's – you just don't care for this guy, and that's a very easy – you just don't like the guy. And therefore, they've got a bad attitude. Sometimes that's a legitimate criticism. Sometimes that's just a front for – you don't care for this this guy, and you don't have any plans for him. So he's labeled a bad attitude. It's like it's young guys in an industry. You're going to have Randy Orton probably had or did have an awful attitude, but he was also they saw a lot of talent and money to be made. So yeah. bad attitudes can be overlooked too. Yeah, I, I enjoyed this episode. I thought it was very entertaining, um, and that's what I watched these first and foremost for is just entertainment. Um, I thought there were some. Really interesting, captivating interviews and captivating things that were said uh, by Hunter, by um, Batista. Uh, the Jindrak thing was was fascinating to me as well. The Bubba Ray thing was fascinating. So for me, I thought it was a very entertaining, worthwhile watch. Are you at the point where when Hunter is doing these on cams that you're not Im- immediately taken to Obadiah Stane? <laughs> uh, yeah, he's kind of got that look. Right. Um, kind of. Well, it's like it's he's not the only one with that look like um, trying to think who else um, bald with like a long beard. I'm just saying that the um, Paul Levesque, uh, the bridge to Jeff is a very short one. Bridge to. Oh, Jeff Bridges. Oh, I get it. OK. I yeah. All right, that was Ruthless Aggression, <laughs> Episode 3. Uh, that's going to wrap things up. Thank you so much for listening to Rewinded Dynamite. Again, we'll be back Thursday night, 9 p.m. Eastern Time for the live cafe hangout. So we will be joined by Mike Murray for a full rundown of Super Showdown. What's going longer, uh, Goldberg Fiend or Lesnar Ricochet? Oh, good question. Goldberg Fiend or Lesnar? I'm going to say Goldberg and the Fiend. And does that force them to... Make Lesnar Ricochet go longer because I can't imagine both being under ten. Well, okay. Well, for, uh, how about how about right now? Do you do you expect a title change? In which match? <laughs> Not Ricochet <laughs> and Lesnar. I think Brock's retaining. <laughs> I, I think I think there's a very good ch- it's a good possibility of of Goldberg w- winning the title. I, th- I think absolutely. I think so too. I think so too. And for that reason, I don't see them completely dropping out the fiend. You know, somebody that they put a lot of value into. So I think that one could go a little bit longer. Um, uh, you know, but Ricochet though, sorry, I think he's kind of expendable. All right, we'll have a full rundown of the pay per view Thursday night. So thanks everyone for listening. Have a good night.